death sentence for this week. Uh, no news, nothing's happened, um, everything is fine in the world. So we got a, uh, a guest on, I've been, I've been hearing about her book for absolutely ages, because uh, basically all the people that I've, like probably half the people I've talked to on the show over the past almost two years now are in the acknowledgements at the back of Juliet Escoria's book, uh, Juliet the Maniac. Like one of my very early episodes before even Langdon was part of the show, uh, I was talking about um, Scott McClanahan's book, The Sarah Book, which Juliet is a character in. So, you know, uh, we had El Nash on the show. We had Bud Smith on the show. We've had, yeah, just like the whole of what are in the acknowledgements in this book. So it's kind of an obvious choice. Oh, uh, Michael Seedlinger uh, gave me this book to read because he's nice like that. Thanks, Mike. And um, yeah, they're all in the acknowledgements. They're all friends and in one case married to uh, Julia Escoria, who's on the line with us right now from sunny West Virginia. Are you in West yes. Virginia? You are. Yes, I am. Yeah. Well, it, and it's it's nice there. I assume it's sunny. It's not sunny today. It's like kind of like reverted back to winterish today. Um, but it, it's beautiful. But yeah, it's cloudy I'm in Nova today. And it's uh, it's it's pretty nice out here in Nova, which means that uh, we took your good weather. Where's Nova? In Northern Virginia. Oh, okay. You call it Nova? Seriously? Yeah, because it's uh, yeah. Cause I, it's when tight. I get it, North Virginia, but yeah. Um, it's a, you have the option to give it a sci-fi name, so you do. That's I guess. like if I could call where I lived Gundam, I, it would be Gundam <laughs> every day. <laughs> Gundam's a robot, not place. Anyway, um, I've, I've, never, I've never heard of Nova before. I, I bet it's I'm... just lagged that it says that. Yeah, no, I'm it's probably unfortunately not. a lot of people here. It's uh, yeah, we have a lot of fascists in Northern Virginia, and they really love to call it Nova. Because it's Latin and they're like geeks for Latin stuff. They're like, I love being a military contractor more than I love the lives of uh, the impoverished. Uh, let's call it Nova, baby. Wow. You some, yeah, nice folks up there. So, oh, yeah. um, and in Manchester, it's too hot and it's sunny for once. So we got the weather out of the way. Um, Good job. <laughs> yeah. Solid, solid. In case intro. anyone's listening to this, you know, a week, a month later, you will know what the weather was on the day that we recorded this. Damn right. Uh, so, yeah, Juliet, tell us, um, let's start with you before we get into the book. So tell us a little bit about yourself because your Wikipedia entry is, is very short. So, yeah, my, that was the extent of my research. So let, let's learn more about you. Yeah, Scott made that for me for my birthday. I, which, oh, I was going to ask you something about the Wikipedia entry before we go into that. Which kind of embarrassing because like, it immediately got tagged as like reading like an advertisement. So I thought it was sweet, but also kind of like, great, now I look like my husband made my Wikipedia article because he did. Right. It's um, the fact that he wrote it the reason he calls himself a martial artist in that? No, I added that to his. Okay, good. Um, I'm glad someone... I'm trying to figure out why we did that. There's some like reason. We recently said he was like an economist because I can't remember what actor it was, but there was some actor who it also said he's an economist. 
Um, so we added that in there recently too. So like um, your, your couples figure just edited each other's Wikipedia entries? I, I guess so. I guess that's a trend then because I also like took a quote like this is I think when we were still dating. Um, someone had said he was burly like a smallish linebacker. So I like put that in his Wikipedia entry as well. Well, I, uh, I really hope I get there one day and that's like what me and my wife can do to each other. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more healthy than our current way of uh, relating. <laughs> Um, that's, that's very nice. So, you know, he's—I I was wondering, you know, if he was a martial artist, but I guess not, because I, I never no. heard anything about him and the martial arts. You think no. that would come up in his books? They're very autobiographical, and if he could, like, you know, punch through a, a engine block, then you know, it would have come up. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He should double. That. He should double down on it and like recommit the next fifteen years of his life to mastering martial arts, and then go back to writing. Well, so, like, he I said it, so I. He also needs to like learn about being an economist as well. So yeah, he's... well he's he's gonna need downtime on rest days. You know you can't you can't just be a martial artist every day. That's yeah. you're gonna wear yourself out. So he can he can take breaks by reading uh, thick tomes on economic theory and uh, really nail down this uh, you know put himself on a hook here. So yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell him. If you became like a master like, martial artist and economist, you'd be such an alpha. Like you'd and, actually have and totally a literary earned. fiction writer. Like, yeah, you'd, you'd be like you'd be that most interesting guy in the world. Um, guy from the beer commercial. You could be that. Now guy. you'd never get invited to parties anymore because he would be so easy, easily able to one up literally everyone in the room. They'd oh, be yeah, like, I, I don't want to go. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have a hard enough life. I don't need to invite someone super cool into my house to make me look like a chump. <laughs> so, yeah, let, let's talk about your life, though. Gee. Yes. <laughs> so, um, do uh, you so, want, like, the short version or, like, the medium uh, version or the extended cut? Like, like how long do you okay, want me to let, talk let, about Let's go for a medium. Okay. Let's go ahead so, um, I was born in Australia starting at the very beginning, um, to, to American parents. And then we moved back to the States when I was about six months old and we moved around a lot. Then we moved to outside of San Diego when I was eight and we stayed there. And, um, like the Juliet character in the book, I was kind of like an overachiever. And then in high school, things went to shit like pretty quickly. Um, and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I started using the drugs and self-harm and suicide attempts and hospitalizations and switched schools trying to kind of like address the problems I was having. Um, and then eventually went to a quote therapeutic boarding school in a rural area. Um, so that's the scope of the book. And then uh, after that, I went to community college and worked bad jobs for a while and was doing poorly in life due to substances and mental health. Um, then I went to regular college. And then I got sober and went to grad school and started to do a little bit better at life. Um, and then this was in New York and then I moved back to San Diego after living in New York for three years and being sick of being poor. And I wrote black cloud 
And then I had like a mental breakdown trying to get on like different medication for my bipolar and it didn't work too well. So I had like brain problems again. Um, and then that caused me to kind of like, I'm kind of like jumping back and forth in time that caused me to write black cloud. Um, and then I also started talking to Scott and then eventually we ended up dating and then we ended up engaged and then I moved to West Virginia and now I live here and I teach English classes at a community college and wrote a couple books. I lived here and I'm a stepmother. I guess that's a fairly short version. Nice. So we'll get back into like the whole autobiography or is it fiction thing in a minute, but, um, so black cloud and, uh, you have a two, um, something, uh, which, which, which which hunt and which baby. Yeah. Which babies was just like a little chap. It was like all the poems in that were like poems that ended up in witch hunt. That was just like a kind of for fun thing that I made. So those are all poetry, right? And, um, Juliet the Maniac is your first fiction, or is it book, right? Black Cloud is short stories. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, Juliet the Maniac is the first one I've read, so apologies yeah. there. But, um, yeah, so, and they got, it's fair to say, pretty good reviews across the board. I noticed only a lot of, like, artist-to-watch kind of lists, and a lot of people seem to dig those. Um, so... Where, so, Juliet the Maniac, you kind of already explained the plot a little bit because yeah. it's kind of. Would, would you say it's autobiographical? I guess you can't really yeah, not I say mean, it's like, autobiographical. The, like the basic facts of the character Juliet are the same as mine, Julia the human. Um, so, bipolar disorder, suicide attempts, issues with school, issues with drugs, issues with self harm different schools, different hospitalizations, the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's oh, also my, that. oh, that's my autobiography as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And, yeah like, it sounds startlingly familiar to me on this end, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, yeah, we've just all got the same biography. But um, one of us is gender flipped and the rest is just, oh, I've never actually been to any sort of therapeutic community. Uh-huh. My parents don't believe so in that. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're fucking awful. Yeah, mine was like the short both. It was both good and awful. Uh, The one I went to, they they made me color for an hour, and I wasn't allowed to talk, but I had to sit next to somebody, and I felt like I was going insane. Wow, that's weird. Did you go to a therapeutic type boarding school as well? It wasn't a boarding school. It was a it was an outpatient program where it was like an eight hour a day thing, and uh, found. Found out that eight hours a day of that is way too much and makes you feel way crazier than you are. <laughs> like, doesn't matter how crazy you felt prior, but eight eight full hours of it will uh, that'll get to you. How Just long did you have to go to that? Um, I thankfully was able to check myself out because I did not contact any police about anything that I had been doing prior. I just was like, I should do this on my own. And so after um. After a short bit, I was like, I would literally rather wing it uh, than do this any longer. Yeah, I went to one, an outpatient for like 
I was like full time for like a week and then a couple days a week for like, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks after that. I really liked it though, but it wasn't eight hours a day and it didn't make me do that weird coloring thing. It kind I was of like, felt I'm not like, a toddler. <laughs> yeah, it, it did feel sort of like summer camp, but for like crazy people and who are adults. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 um, stumbling over my words, uh, the therapeutic thing in, in the book. And it's obviously got its downsides, pretty significant ones. One counselors is kind of, uh, kind of rapey, but, um, for, for the most part, it actually sounds quite nice. Um, you know, there's like activities and trips and you're in this little tight knit community with all your friends. It, I mean, maybe I got completely the wrong end of the stick here, but is it such like a, a mix of like well stuff and is it actually, can it be like actually as nice as I'm making it as I'm I thinking mean, it is? What I wanted to, because like at the time I hated it and I was like so mad at my parents for sending me there and thought it was so mean of them. Um, but looking back, it was a pretty nice experience. I know like some of the other students who went to that school didn't have as good of a, an experience as I did, um, depending on like when in the school's history they were there, just because like the staff was so like unstable, which I would imagine was because it's in the middle of nowhere and you were dealing with like out of control teens. Um, and of course we had the issues like that was based in truth. We did have a counselor who was essentially a sexual predator and we did have like all sorts of therapy. Some of it like that confrontational therapy. I remember oh, yeah. talked to people um from the boarding school and i was like did this actually happen like this seems so out of control and they're like yes it did and in fact you're remembering it like at a less severe level than it actually was um so for the folks at home the confrontational therapy i had to like look it up to check it was real because it's basically uh like a group therapy session but the counselor just mouths off at you just calls you a twat and uh just like destroys you mentally and that's supposed then you're supposed to like build yourself back up i don't know quite what the theory is but yeah that was i've never heard of that and that's like it just seems really bad to do that to like teenagers like maybe i don't know i mean anyone it seems bad i could argue that that's just uh wrong that's just wrong and bad to do Well, and I mean, if you have, like, substance issues and mental illness issues, like, that's, like, your running monologue anyway in your head is, like, what a piece of shit you are. And so why do you need someone to say the stuff that you already think about yourself? Yeah, you probably got it from your friends, your parents anyway. Like, some stranger in a room is not going to be the person who breaks through to you. Yeah. Yeah, Um, it it, it touches on the, the, like, uh, the the primary crux of like issues surrounding victim blaming which is that like that language is the very first thing that your mind jumps to it's like this is my fault and i am stupid and bad and so yeah it just seems very counterintuitive especially given that like most other therapy is based around breaking that cyclical process of uh negative self-talk leading to negative action by just by just doubling down on it super hard yeah yeah, that that part was insane to me. 
Yeah, it was insane looking back because it was just like, this can't be right. Like, this can't be what actually happened. <laughs> and then kind of checking the memories of my friends who I am still in contact with with that school and being like, oh, wait, this was real <laughs> um, was kind of wild. But, I mean, so the, yeah, there are plenty of flaws, but that boarding school was, like, in retrospect, a more pleasant experience than not pleasant. Hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, I know kind of comes at the end and it's technically a spoiler but we'll get on to the style of the book in a minute but going out to the wilderness on your own I, a it sounds kind of dangerous but it also sounds kind of fun and awesome and did did you find out like did you do that whole like vision quest out in the in death valley and did yeah that it was it was similar to that um and i mean i thought like i didn't want Julia, Juliet. I feel the need also. I, whenever I talk about Juliet, the character, I feel the need to establish that's not my first name because otherwise, I feel like I sound like such like a person talking in third person. But Ju- Juliet is not me. Um, but that was uh, quite like similar to my experience where we went to Death Valley. We had like a, I don't know, remember the exact details, but we were alone for an extended period of time and weren't allowed to talk anyone and they'd come and check in on us. Um, but the point was to be by yourself. And I had thought that that seemed like an apt place to end because I remember feeling better than I'd felt, but like, it wasn't like I was cured, um, which seemed like a good place to kind of end the book, which is better than before, but not better, better. Hmm. Yeah. And and that was a good experience too. Like I would do that again if I had time. Same. Hang out in the desert by yourself. Yeah, I bet. It, I bet it's if you're an adult and you're properly prepared and stuff, you do all that kind of bare grill stuff. Then I bet it's really awesome. Yeah, I'd love to do that sometime. Um, so one of the the really cool things about the book is so a lot of it, it's about a teenager. I think she's like fourteen when the book starts, sixteen when it ends. And like, I bet like 99% of books written about people of that age are for people that age. But this book isn't a young adult book at all. I mean, you could probably give it to a young adult, uh, but it's not written as or marketed as one. So how do you like go about writing about teenagers for adults? Um, I mean, I feel like like I have like a very teenagery side of my brain um still so it was kind of like tapping into that um and I did kind of feel like there's going to need to be some suspension of disbelief like some of the things that Juliet says are like slightly elevated from what a teenager actually would say and I just kind of decided that that was fine that that's happens in books um and mostly just kind of like trying to tap into the part of myself that's like petty and superficial and judgmental. Um, and also kind of remembering specific things that I had thought, like I remember like towards the beginning of the uh, book, she's talking about going to high school and like how she figures she's going to immediately be cool. And like, I remember thinking that like planning out the first day of school um, for high school and like planning out my outfit and things. Um, so there were certain things that I kind of remembered pretty clearly in terms of like internal thought. 
Um, so kind of referring to those, but a lot of it was also just like, let's think about like this aspect of my thinking and focus on that. Um, so yeah. It's like, again, I wound up, sorry, go on. Yeah. I wound up referring to the book style. So I'll like, when I'm reading these things for the podcast, I'll talk through them with my partner because it helps uh, congeal thoughts before I sit in front of a microphone and have to spit them out. Um, and I wound up describing it to them as like, uh, if young adult fiction was good, um, <laughs> not, not, not to be an aggressive hater of it. Cause oh, I understand. Was canceled. Um, canceled everyone. Get off the mic line. There are, lots of, <laughs> there are, there are, there are lots of issues surrounding it. And that's, some point just acknowledging that for the most part it doesn't really do anything for me that doesn't really invalidate it but the fact that i uh i didn't have exactly the same kind of childhood but you know i you run into other people who have relatively like fucked up teenage years like or even just being into their like early to even mid-20s of them being like really emotionally strenuous and difficult and not necessarily seeing that mirrored in a lot of things that are presumably uh, pointed towards people like that and remembering the frustration of being like going through really intense things and being like, I'm not finding any books pointed at young adults, which technically I am, that even are remotely interested in dealing with things I am actively going through right now. Um, and so, yeah, the fact that like you uh, engaged so well with like real things that I had parallel experiences to um in, in like real emotional language like it didn't feel emotionally truncated in order to make it digestible to blank it just felt like you know the the sort of rich literary thing of living inside the real emotions of the moment without necessarily trying to reconcile them just relay them onto the page I was like, I wish books about teens and things teens go through were written like this all the time because this is good as opposed to being wildly aggressively bad. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you felt that way because that was kind of my intention, like everything that you just said. Like I wanted to – I read like a lot of teen books when I was a teenager, but I also read a lot of adult fiction um, as well. So kind of wanted to make the book that didn't exist um, and then also – wanted to make it more just like what it felt like in the moment rather than like how I perceive it now. Yeah. yeah. You definitely pulled that off. So, I mean, who, who do you well, imagine, you. what kind of person do you imagine reading it? Like, do you have an ideal reader in mind for, for this? I mean, I write like mostly for myself, like what would I want to read? Um, like what, kind of pleases me and then I write for Scott as well like I want him to enjoy it and then my friends who regularly read my work um so like my audience in my mind as I'm writing is very small and personal um but my idea is that I can't be that odd and my friends and husband can't be that odd in terms of the things that they like so I figured that other people would hopefully like it. Um, and, you know, I feel like if you write about yourself on a super micro level, anyone who's had some sort of experience that overlaps with that is going to be able to relate to it. So maybe someone isn't bipolar but has experienced depression or, you know, something like that, then hopefully they'll be able to kind of relate to the book. The idea that, like, you get super, super personal 
then it'll um, appeal to people um, who've kind of dealt with some element of the subject matter. Yeah, I mean, like the kind of, I think we're about the same age. So all of the like um, cultural references like Marilyn Manson that like immediately twigged with me. It's like, even though uh, Book Juliet is you know, different gender living on the other side of the world from where I was when I was a teenager, I was still like relating to her a hell of a lot more than I have to a lot of characters in a lot of different genres and books that I have for a long time. And um, yeah, I think I think you pulled that one off, you know? Good. Thank you. Um, so before we get into some other stuff about books and writing and the writer's life, uh, let's do some music first. Um, so I wanted to play a song by an artist who I've, I've kind of dug for a long time now. Uh, her name's Foy Gras, like the food. I don't know what it is because I'm you know, vegetarian and better than you. And, Foie gras is like really unethical to eat, I think. Well, all meat is actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> Especially unethical. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's like the... That's like the uh, no, I, it's like goose liver, isn't it? When they like yeah. force feed the goose. You, yeah, you overfeed a goose or a duck until the liver becomes super fatty. And basically they uh, die because their liver is completely non-functional because it's all fat now. Uh, and then you eat it. You eat that liver. Cool. Cool stuff, carnists. Well done. Um, Sometimes I read this stuff and I feel re- like extra bad about eating meat. Like like more than the passive amount. I'm like, oh my god, I'm a, I'm, I'm a demon. Pretty much, pretty much. It's like reading a book about African colonization in terms of like, oh my god. Yeah, that's how. That's exactly how you should feel all the time. And um, okay, so the music, uh, the musician is good. She started out as like a kind of droney, kind of almost countryish kind of like if you imagine if like Chelsea Wolfe was played like quarter speed. So it's almost, it sounds like almost like grouper or something. Uh, but now she's gone like electro pop. And it's like really dark, sleazy, sexy, dark electro pop. And I was kind of, I don't know why it reminded me of um, Juliet the Maniac, but it. For some reason, it sat really closely to this book. I don't know why. Maybe people at home will hear that too. I don't know. But if not, then it's still just a great song. So here's uh, a, the first track of the new Foie Gras album. And it's good. And you should go listen to it. Choke me until you 
Okay, that was foie gras, uh, named after a horrible food for bad people. And uh, so we're still online with uh, Juliet Escoria, talking about her book, Juliet the Maniac, which is awesome and great. And um, so I kind of wanted to talk a bit about uh, kind of what I was talking about at the start, how you, your your husband, and a bunch of the people who like were kind of beta readers for this book all kind of have a roughly similar aesthetic like um like el nash's book animals eat each other was is, is very close to juliet the maniac yeah um, i agree it was kind yeah. of funny like i just answered this in a different interview but like elizabeth ellen l and myself had exchanged books like we weren't finished with them so it was persona animals eat each other and juliet the maniac and neither was finished um and l's and mine were like less close than Elizabeth's was, if I remember correctly. And it was strange at how much overlap they all had to each other. Um, just like without us really trying. And it was the first time I'd met Elle as a person. I mean, in person, first time I'd seen her in the flesh. Um, so it just seemed kind of like odd that there was already so much in common without us, like directly influencing each other by, you know, kind of reading her book and then writing mine or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, they are very, they're close books. They're not like, you know, ripping each other off or anything, but they're, they're close. They're both about teenage girls going through roughly a similar thing. And they're both great. And, um, like, do you have a sense of like a scene of like, uh, like a certain group of writers that you're, you're close to and you think like, yeah, we're kind of moving in the same direction. I mean, I guess so. Like, we live in different parts around the country, but I see the people I care about fairly regularly just because you have, like, uh, different, like, readings or book festivals or something like that, or, you know, you on purpose decide to meet at the same city at the same time. Um, and we all keep in decent contact via text or social media or whatever. Um, and I feel like the people that I'm drawn to on a personal level, like I is mostly, well, I don't know, mostly, but a lot of similarities in their work. Um, like it's like the same type of thing that I care about doing is what they're generally doing. Um, what would you kind of say that is? How do you sum it up? I don't know. I think like, I think like part of it is it's just like, like, I felt like when I was in grad school, there were certain things that were valued um, in literature, like third person, uh, strictly made up, like pure, purely fictional or as purely fictional as it could be, because um, I believe that all writing is autobiographical, but like, you know, in alternate realities or whatever. Um, and taking like a long time to kind of like draw things out and describe things. And I think that there is possibly for some of us maybe deliberate like kind of pushback against that um and then others i think it's just kind of like what do you care about telling and it's so it's more kind of like personal stories than let's make something up um so i don't know as like an english teacher i mean we talk about movements and things like that and a lot of times you can't really put your finger on what it is why there's this group of people who are writing in this way at this time. Um, so I don't really know. 
but I do know that like if I like somebody's work, it's usually based on their real life about like some sort of, I don't know, troubling element to their life. Uh, usually in fairly simple language. Yeah. I've been trying to like <coughs> think about that myself. Cause like, uh, like I said, a lot of the books I've been reading lately have been by this nameless click of people and they're all kind of similar and they're all, they all equally speak to me probably because I come out of that same um, graduate school uh, kind of high literary fiction background of like where writers like Ian McEwen were super highly valued and yeah I, and I've just been kind of turning against it myself on my own work and in what I read um, I'd really like to name that kind of tendency one day like yeah give it, give it a name I, I have a uh, counter position to that I actually quite like um the how organic it seems to be right now that a lot of people uh, I, I'm in the same boat of having you know gone to university getting the whole um running into similar kinds of things and going like oh, well, I like parts of like super dry high literature but I also like parts of that uh can I call it I guess then wet would be the op- opposite <laughs> I hate where this analogy is going so I'm I'm stopping it but you know what you know what I'm saying um but uh, uh I actually really quite liked um how uh, organic and healthy your your response to that question seemed to be in terms of it not a lot of times we see these very artificially constructed kinds of clicks we saw we saw that with uh with altlet um and we all know where that one went um yeah yep yeah <laughs> um which was partly as frustrating as it was because there were talented writers that were involved in that but it felt like once it gets this chaining name and ethos there's certain evolutionary paths that are blocked off there's certain natural movements that um for i don't want to use the term lesser writer but for writers who are less invested in the act of writing truly to what they're trying to convey in that specific moment they're going to be fixated on these artificial components over just what is my story? What will make my story better right now? Um, and so I actually quite like how there is this feeling of like people in our specific age group who have very similar feelings of having struggled with through the uh, 90s and early 2000s of a shifting landscape of how we approached not only mental health in general, but mental health of youths. And how something like Columbine made people very attentive to the notion that the youth have mental health issues that can be very deleterious at times, but very imperfect ways of very very imperfect ways of handling it. Um, I actually like how right now it feels a bit more um, not so much atomized, but the fact that the stories feel more personal and less chained to a generalized ethos. Um, lets those like differing characteristics come out without feeling like, oh, well, that's that is now unorthodox, like that you've mentioned that this thing happened to you because it did not happen to me or this list of other people. Like it feels a bit more 
like there are some door there are more doors open now than it would have if we gave a name to this kind of movement yeah yeah so, no I, names I, I think also like based on like the demise of outlet i feel like people like they're like oh okay if i call my work this then maybe people will pay attention to me um i mean i don't know maybe i'm like negatively assuming things about other people but that, of course, like, seems gross, um, and, like, you're trying to get your work to do something that it might not, and, like, why do you care about lumping yourself in with other people? Um, so I would say that, yeah, like, not naming something seems good. Um, Especially since the, the natural arc of a work – I mean, I think anyone who seriously writes and has done it for more than a couple years, like, has reached out to different publishers, published to different people, all that kind of stuff – notices that there's a kind of applicability to where your work will land with people. Like, that's why I actually quite liked your answer about, like, who you write for and it being like, well, I don't explicitly write for anyone, partly because at a certain point it dawns on you that that doesn't really work unless you're, like, you have a an alien anti-art brain like James Patterson. Like, I yeah. deeply envy his ability to laser target, like, an audience and be like, I'm going to get a million dollars from them. It's like, I wish I could do that, but I don't really know anyone who can. So, and and then the reality of, like, who comes up to you going, like, your work really spoke to me. It's almost never who you think. Like, it, yeah. At least for me. Like, it's always very strange and surreal, like, the kind of person who's like, this spoke to me a lot, and I'm very glad that you put it out there. And or like other artists who are like, I, I, you know, I've been looking through your work and I find it, you know, really rich and satisfying. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, what? <laughs> like, uh, I can't wrap my brain around this. Um, yeah, like Melville House is a lot bigger of a publisher than my other two books. And so they've done NetGalley, which I guess you like create an account and you get um, pre-publication, like PDF of the book. And so instead of, like, the other two, the publishers are so small that the only people reading it are people who are, like, really into independent literature or just literature, period, you know, kind of like book snobs. And the net galley people are, like, people who read a lot of trash. I mean, not all of them, but a lot of them do. And so it's really kind of interesting to see their reaction to the book because um, some of them are, like, sweet moms who somehow love the book anyway. This is on Goodreads. And then some of them are, like, people who are, like, outraged at the book and, like, don't understand why I did X, Y, or Z. Um, so it really kind of just underscores the fact that you have no control over who reads your book and who, if they like it or not and why. Um, so I kind of feel like, you know, like manufacturing an audience that you're writing to in your head seems like a really bad idea. Um, unless you're writing to sell, like to make money, which seems like a bad idea too, which is like, if you want, if you're doing it to yeah. make money, like do something different. <laughs> right. So, like, like you want to grab, I want to grab those people by the shoulders and be like, <laughs> you, you either hate yourself or you don't know how money works because this like, isn't going to work, man. <laughs> if you, if you like writing and you want to make money, then write for TV or something. Like don't write <laughs> books. Like that's <laughs> very silly to me. Like, do you do you know how many people read books, man? It's like it's like yeah. twenty people. You can't you can't do that. Like you're gonna be poor. Yeah, you've, you've got as much chance of publishing a book as you have winning the lottery, and you've got about as much chance of actually like 
being a rich author like Dan Brown or James Patterson as you do win the lottery twice. I mean, there's like a handful of people who are millionaires off writing and one, yeah, like, one billionaire. In the scheme of things, I cannot complain about the amount of money I've made off my writing, but still like I'm making probably like a fraction of a fraction of minimum wage based on like amount of time that I put into it. Um, so it seems very stupid in terms of like financial like practicalities like if i was an economist like my husband then i would say that it's <laughs> not a good financial decision <laughs> well i mean to be fair he is he majorly draws his income from being a world-renowned martial artist so yes, that's true <laughs> how he can he can moonlight uh being you know uh a fields medal winning economist <laughs> you know going to all the islands to be in martial arts tournaments so, yeah it's it's a tough gig, but it makes money. So I want to talk Defeated about some of Shane these. Uh, Sung three times. So I want to talk about some of these uh, stupid reactions on Goodreads because I I love some bad bad reactions. Like I just like sitting there reading the Amazon uh, reviews for like James Joyce and stuff because he gets some real gold. Oh there. my god! Oh my god! That sounds like heaven. I'm going <laughs> to look those up right now. <laughs> yeah, they're brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so what what were some bad ones you got? Oh, I'm the bad at like thinking off things off the top of my head. I mean, a lot of them have been like you can tell that they're used to probably like uh, books that are more like feel good or kind of like like care about having a resolved ending, like a happy ending or whatever. And they seemed unhappy that my book isn't like. And then this happened. The end. Um, and then just kind of like disgusted at the amount of uh, bad behavior displayed by it, by the character in the book. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, that seems about it. Oh, and people are angry about the genre classification, like people being like, I thought this was a novel, but it's clearly not. Um, and that seems really funny to me that there's the like people getting upset that you called it a novel, yet they think it's not a novel because there's documents in it and the character has the same name as the writer. And so therefore it's obviously not fiction. Um, and, and like people getting like upset and feeling like they're misled because they don't know what genre this is, which seems like so I fucking odd. I love me. those people. I yeah. fucking love those people who are like, do you like? I, I love hearing their weird, weird arguments because it's like, do you like books? Like, do you yeah. do you like reading books? Like, I don't know how this is so difficult to you. It's along the same lines of people who are like, I couldn't read that book; it was too hard. You're like, do you uh -huh. not know the words in it? <laughs> because that's that's really the only thing that a book asks you is, do you know the words that there are being used? After that, it's gravy. You just read them one by one, baby, until the reading's done. <laughs> you know, when people are like, "Yeah, I thought, uh, uh, I thought this is nonfiction, and I was willing to en uh, engage with it only if everything literally happened." Then I yeah. found out some of it did exactly happen, and I thought, "Fuck this trash!" <laughs> and I was scammed, or, or, and I want my money back, even though the next day I didn't spend any money. Or the other people who are like, I only like books where literally nothing is real. And then you reference the state or city that exists. And I thought, fuck this. 
Yeah, I remember reading another that. Thing, I was like, what do you want? <laughs> another thing that I, that was repetitive with the drugs and the self-harm, and that made me laugh because it's like, do you know what addiction is? Do you know what mental illness is? Like, they're, like, so repetitive. Like, it's so cyclical. That's the point. Thanks. Like, what do, like what do the, I think? You, like, the most do drugs once and then never do them again that's not a, that's not a book you, you wouldn't have a problem if you like did tried pot I, once and didn't enjoy it yeah i love the charmed lives of these people too because it's like anyone who's dealt with severe suicidality self-harm addiction mental health knows that at some point one it like one of the biggest therapeutic breakthroughs is you're like, holy shit, I'm fucking bored of this. Like, yeah. Like it's always crazy and awful, but it's the same crazy and awful stuff all the time. Like the first bit is I'm never going to learn lessons because apparently I make the same mistake. But eventually you're like you spot it more of like if I do that, I'm going to go through that same whack boring shit that I've done a million times. No, like devil no, devil out. <laughs> It was funny because when I got sober, I was, like, really concerned that I was going to turn into a boring person. And then, like, shortly in my sobriety, I was like, oh, wait a second. Like, addiction is the most boring thing ever. It's like, like, this is, like, straight up. You do the same thing all the time. And it's, like, super predictable. You're so. like, whoa. I, I had the same thing where it was, like, I, I would joke with people that I would be, that I'm, like, the boring one at parties now because I don't do anything at all um and then they will get hammered and have a good time you know nothing like but i'll be like i'll be there for 30 minutes i'll be like okay i'm gonna do something else now and they're like what do you mean do something else and I'm like, oh, well i'm i'm bored you're just you're just drinking and watching the same cartoon on loop and they're like yeah because it's great i'm like i'm not arguing that it's not great i'm just personally bored so i'm gonna go walk have some food <laughs> watch something on my phone, literally anything else. Um, yeah, it's like, I don't know what people would want from books about addiction aside from, I guess, like, can Oprah feel good? Like, yeah, like, like <laughs> I killed myself have... seven times, but now I'm good now. Yeah, you have, like, a straight, very clear, like, redemption quickly at the end. Um, I think that's what people want. I mean, like, yeah, I, she I, does I, kind of feel a bit better at the end. But as you say, it's like, you know, these are big problems. They're probably never well, going to go away. Yeah. So it's a lie if you say, I went out to the desert for a while and came back and I was cured. Yeah. Do you want to be lied to about, like, some yeah, of the most not, important stuff in life? That's not what happens. Like, you just yeah, like, keep on the, fucking up again until, like, eventually you stop fucking up quite so badly. Like I, I I I really like the ending and how it uh on one formal end it felt like a very good like mountain goat song or something like that where it's more about that or like a good literary fiction story where you just have that moment of epiphany and what comes after doesn't necessarily matter because what came before tells you the shape of it where it's like it's going to be a long, hard road, but this is at least the moment where it's like, ah, shit, I got to get my act together. Oh, fuck. Um, but yeah, in terms of like an emotive moment, it was the moment where those emotions happen. And so it's like, I don't know what else a reader would want after that. Like, I, to be fair, there's something to be said formally for the books that then are willing to put you through the tedium of like, and then the person does it. And it's another 300 pages because it doesn't go very well. Um, but 
yeah, I'm I'm confused. Uh, I accept that they exist, but I'm confused by the arguments of people who are like, why would it end here? Why why don't you give me more of a more of a climax? Like uh, you delete drugs from reality at the at the end. Yeah, like, I don't because know. Because me go to Colombia and beat up Pablo Escobar. That's yes. how it should end. Just crashing into his uh, villa, taking him out, and beating up all his ninjas. Reverse, reverse think, time and destroy the coca plant. <laughs> I think people would like that, probably. But, I, I mean, you also just realize how bad people's taste is. Like, I encounter that on a near-daily oh, basis yeah. <laughs> in my classes and... Um, people just have bad taste, so oh, yeah. that's fine. I, I've got a lot of friends. One of my favorite, oh, one of my favorite parts of going through the uh, the high school and then college BFA and then postgraduate MFA program is slowly swapping out people who have one kind of very bad taste for people who are very tedious, but at least like books that are a closer approximation to good, somewhat. Yeah. Um, like someone isn't walking in being like, I wrote a fan fiction about two anime characters. Uh, they have sex, and you're like, you can't. We're not gonna. No, we. we no, we're not gonna. We're not gonna critique this. This is no. Um, versus like the 45 year old guys. Like I wrote another story about how I'm currently getting divorced, and it's like, okay, Paul. I hope. I hope this goes well this time. Brings up a. So every now and again, I like to go into Barnes and Noble and just look at mostly the um like the table spreads that they have because you know they'll stock whatever because they have shelf space. But it's very intriguing to look at what they're like. We, we want to push these twenty books or like these multiple tables of twenty books, but every book on it has to be bad. Like we can only put really bad books that I can't, that no one, you can't imagine anyone that you know in your real life that wants to read any of these. Um, we got, we got to push them. And you're like, do you, do you know why you're going out of business? Like, do you, does this, do you ever wake up and go like, we're only selling the books that are aggressively bad? Um, yeah, the publishing industry seems so strange to me because it seems like they, want to compare it all to something else and like if if they're like getting behind a writer they want it to be like this is the next and then whatever adjective or person they want to compare it to and that just seems like bad business like i feel like they don't do that but maybe they do in other fields just like like oh yeah i've worked in two of the big four publishers at various times in my life and the problem with publishing and I can sum it all up. They're totally cynical about books and they don't oh. publish anything that they would read themselves. Like if like the highest guy at like Random House or someone, he doesn't read any of the books like that 90% of his money comes from. Like he reads like what are to him like real books and he yeah. doesn't give, and like the younger people would read, would read, would probably, there's probably like a ton of people at these big four publishers who are going to read Juliet the Maniac. But they're never going to publish anything like it. They're going to publish stuff they don't really believe in because they don't really believe in their audience and they don't really believe in readers or in books, really. God, um, that's so depressing. It is, yeah. And And I mean, mean, like, based on my experience, it's, like, not uh, news to me. It's just depressing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the publishing industry at, like, the, the top big four level is 
yeah, they're just maybe on another 20 years left until there's no big four, there's just nothing. Yeah. Without without naming names, that also works for like writing, even writing about writing or writing about oh. music or writing about film. Um, like even on the critical end, people will go, oh, this is a really great piece. Um, you know, really in depth, really, really satisfying. I'm not going to run it. We need another listicle about 10 shock endings. And you're like, what? Wait, what? Like they'll say in the email, this is amazing. I loved it. We're not running it. And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> They're like, yeah, we don't, we don't run things that are good. We, um, that's against our policy. It needs we to be. We just assume every, everyone's idiots. So like, can you please write for these idiots that we're assuming? Yeah. Are and is, like, then something blows up and people are like, well, of course it blew up. It's good. And it's like, yeah, that's what literally everyone has been saying. Like, that's. Yeah, but there's enough stuff that's. Uh, like good things. There's enough stuff that's bad that blows up too. Like, like when I was at Random House, 50 Shades of Grey blew up. Everyone got a four grand bonus that year. So there was like, everyone had to find the new 50 Shades because maybe we'll get another bonus next year. So, I'm, yeah. And, but then but that like, one at least makes not, sense, like, which, like, I haven't read that book, but I did watch one of the movies, and it's, like, people like reading sexy stuff, and it's, like, I don't know. I understand why people would like that. That seems, like, fine to me, that people like that like, type of trash. I was, like, I like pornography, and this is, porno- if we're not lying, it's pornography, but it's, if anything, I felt weirdly positive that it was like, it was warmly received as like, no, people, like, we know why people are reading it. We're not, that's, no one's under the illusion that it's anything else, but that's fine. People are allowed to do that. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, that's a really healthy reaction to that. And then, and then we immediately forgot that. We forgot that lesson because society is not about retaining lessons learned. Not important. Had to move on. So, yeah. So, Julia or Juliet, um, what's next for you? I know like the book is just coming out, but usually there's like a, a lag between you finishing and it actually coming out, going to the presses. So are you working on new stuff? Is it poems? Is it short stories? Is it another novel? I, I want to do short stories just because this, like writing this and publishing this are both like really stressful and hard. Um, and I want to do something that's a little bit easier in terms of like emotional attachment. Um, so I'm going to do stories and then I do want to write another novel, but I think I need like a break in between this book and the other novel, which is going to be kind of similar in terms of, uh, feeling kind of dragged through the coals by the book. So yeah, I need, I need a break from that. So stories. Mm-hmm. So you've got you've got like another novel in you, but it's you're gonna give yourself a little break. Yeah, like I I know I definitely like have a general like kind of outline of the shape of what I want it to take, but I haven't started writing it or anything. But I like really want to write that book. It's just I don't want to do it right at this time. So stories for now, and then eventually that book. Cool. Can you can you tell us like a little sneak preview of what the book roughly could be? Oh, I I want to write about uh, like having the breakdown as an adult, and I don't know when it would start and when it would end. I'll have to like write to figure it out and probably throw a lot of work away, which is what I did with this book. Um, but just kind of like 
moving to West Virginia, perhaps, um, in there, leaving New York, perhaps, in there. Um, so just kind of, like, I feel like there hasn't been that many books about someone in sobriety who's still, like, fucking up and having a hard time at life. Um, so that seems interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds cool. I would 100% read that. Mm-hmm. Same. Cool. Same times a thousand. So, yeah, yeah. Get, get your, a few short stories out then and get cracking on that one because uh, you got at least two people who read it. <laughs> and then the stories I've been writing, like kind of the things that I tell people about myself or like think are good stories that I haven't written yet. And I kind of want to focus on, I guess this is my weird brand of feminism, but like women just behaving like really, really horribly, like just as shitty as men, if not sometimes shittier. So I've been like writing some stories. I can't imagine that would be like a whole collection, but some of these stories. It's just like yeah, I remember women reading, being um, degenerates. I remember uh, hearing, I think you, you read it on a on another podcast, uh, one where two women like, I think basically just sexually assault a yeah. handicapped guy at the beach. And um, yeah, that, that was like a, a I was listening to that at work, like with my office friends around and just like, <laughs> luckily on my headphones, because I'd probably get fired if I played out on the speakers. I, I, yeah, until you said that, I was like, what the fuck, Kara? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I was just like, get a load of this. <laughs> the plot's not quite that, but it's pretty darn close. But yes, yeah. like women essentially group sexually assaulting a unfortunate young man. Yeah, so... I mean, I, I imagine the story is is well composed and well directed and things like that. I, oh, yeah, I, I, I was more reacting to the thought of Gareth just like having a room full of coworkers <laughs> just playing it on office speakers, <laughs> and they're like, "Gareth, are are, are you okay? <laughs> like, are you going through something right now?" You're like, "I just like good writing." And they're like, "That's that's good. That's good, Gareth. Can you put headphones on?" <laughs> They had a freak out the other day when I played the Stooges on the um, office speaker. So I'm not going to, like, start playing audiobooks. Like, yeah, the Stooges the, uh, was too much for them. So I, uh, uh, My boss once uh, let a black metal song play uninterrupted on the work radio without without batting an eye. And then Linkin Park came on right after and was like, we have to turn this off. This is too aggressive. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, all right. <laughs> So, yeah, well, um, yeah, c- keep us in the loop on new stuff. Like, totally, like, tweet at us if you got new stuff coming out, because I will tweet it out to the world. Sounds good. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, people in the world, go to uh, an independent bookshop, hope, pre- preferably. You know, if you got to go to Amazon, then you got to do it and pick up Juliet the Maniac. Uh, when does it come out? May 7th. Yeah, so you got you got a little time to save up, people at home. Um, it is really good, really, really do check it out. Especially if you're if you like the other work and for this like nameless scene uh, that I've just been covering on this show quite a bit because you know it's the kind of stuff that I want to read. So yeah, do do check it out, people at home. Um, we're gonna finish off with probably if you've listened to this show then you know this band already. Like, if this is the sort of show you want to read, you want to listen to, then you already know the band's son. 
S-U-N-N space zero, N bracket, N bracket, N bracket. Uh, if you call them a Sun O, then I don't want to know you, and you should go to jail. It's just called You're Sun. You're allowed to do that up to five times, and that they've got to be within like the first couple weeks that you learn of the band. You, exactly. There's yeah. a window to that. You're still doing that if if you've got like a bunch of records and stuff. Then no. And if you if you ever say it to the band themselves, like if you meet Stephen O'Malley and you're like, oh wow, you're in that band Sun O, then he's actually legally allowed to kill you on the spot. Yeah. That seems fun though, like going up to him and calling it Sun O. Like I feel like I might do that for fun. <laughs> well, I I might get, I might get try Scott to over to, like, protect you because he can kill you. But uh... like sudden. <laughs> Oh yeah, I guess <laughs> there are two ends in there. You can't can't let that can't let that slide. <laughs> so yeah, Sun have come out with a new album. It's called Life Metal, which is okay. I, I love this band. I love these people, but you know, Life Metal guys. No, it's extremely funny. Also, <laughs> they're allowed to do it. They're they yeah, were they, in they, fucking got... Thor's Hammer. I, I know like, they're allowed enough to goodwill at this point to, to call it album life metal, but come on. They cut a record with Scott Walker, and then right after that, one with Oliver. Yeah, and they've done one with Boris, and they've released so much good stuff, like um, Big Brave is on their record label, and yeah, they're, they're just amazing. And they're, okay, they're allowed to call life an album life metal. If a new band called an album life metal, I would, yeah, I'd never stop taking a piss. Yeah. We, but, we talk about how, like, hipsters and metal isn't really a thing, even though it definitely is kind of a thing. They just generally make pretty pretty good records. So, you know, who fucking cares? Um, yeah, every now and again, though, yeah, if someone did that, that'd be like, no, you're the you're the one people are talking about. It's yeah. literally just about you, and you have to go now. Yeah. I, I bet Liturgy thought of calling an album life metal. But, oh, uh, 100% agree with that. Yeah, so this is... Uh, an 11 minute long song so strap yourself in but it's which which one did you pick by the way oh the, the it's gotta one be one that, of the first two yeah the one that um came out as a single hold on just is that the one with the uh the female vocals and the, the pipe organ uh yes it is i'm just trying to yeah just... uh between slight near's breaths no oh, okay second second track which is called I... hold on troubled air I've had a promo of it for a while, so I just I yeah. don't remember which one is which. It's just one. It's so fucking good, dude. Yeah, I know. This is a really amazing album. I, I liked the last one, Canon, and the one before that, uh, the one with a lot of Isan on. Uh, that was an incredible Black record. One, but I think? Uh, no, one bef- even before that. I don't think Black One was there. Yeah. Probably not interesting to read to listeners to have a debate that but um i mean it, they've, they've all been incredible the, the listeners who listen to us don't want to hear about sun or oh, whatever <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah the the new one is very very good it's like this um monoliths and dimensions that was the one um that's the one it's yeah. this like roaring punch in the it's it's a weirdly like emotionally rich record too which is something that um canon i thought sometimes lacked but this one like i got I got teary-eyed the first like couple times I listened to it. It's just like nothing happens. It's just, you know, they hit the one note, and then 45 minutes later they hit a second note and turn the amps off. But I got real emotional. Mm, yeah, and 
yeah, there's a lot going on in this record. And I think the whole thing is streaming at NPR if you want to listen to it all. Or you could just yeah, become a metal journalist and just get promos. But um, they're on Bandcamp too. Sun.bandcamp. Um, yeah, you're probably going to listen to this album if you've yeah, listened this far into this kind of podcast. So this is just a little... Rem- it's a rem- it's, this is a post-it note to say, go and buy the new Sun record. Um I think there's like a limited edition blue vinyl on here. It's like a double blue. It, it looks lovely. It's like a semi-transparent blue vinyl. It, it, it looks great. They're touring pretty soon. They're doing like big uh, record release listening parties. So go to one of those if they're in your town. Um, yeah. Sun. Just incredible band. Can't say enough good things about them. So they're the only time I've ever felt like creeped out when a live show they played all tomorrow's parties and isan was there with like lasers on his fingers he looked like this kind of oh you mean you mean attila sihar not what? isan is it oh who am i talking yeah oh yes it, yeah sorry isan was the, 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 the yeah I'm, I'm messing up his second name into it somewhere a completely different name attila sihar yeah, yeah i was about to say once you said the 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 mirror helmet with the laser fingers and the fucked up cloak yeah yeah pictures of that show are fucking wild like it seems like a a science fiction like crypt tour also yeah. to anyone like i me and a co-worker had seen them live uh well, not together but just and we talked about it where it's like there's so much smoke and it is so loud and bassy that it doesn't feel like a concert it feels like you enter like a cosmic womb or something and you're just like Refeticized briefly. <laughs> yeah, that's how good they are. So, yeah, check them out. Uh, we'll be back next week where we're going to talk about the Socialist Manifesto. It's finally been written. We've finally got socialism um, down on paper and we're going to do it next week. Uh, we've got some cool guests coming for that one too. And there's a bunch of stuff still happening in the world. So we'll we'll be talking about it. Uh, but yeah, go out and uh, get the Sun record and listen to it while reading Juliet the Maniac. That sounds like a good afternoon. So here's Sun. <laughs>